Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. It is good to worship with you this morning. It is good as we're going to continue this series we've been talking about, and I know there's plenty of people watching online. There may be a few people having conversations as the service began. There may be people that slept in this morning because something may have been happening late last night, and so I'm, I'm super glad that there's more than just me in the room today, so thank you for that. But it is really good to be with you today. Have you ever been called out? for something that you knew you shouldn't do, but you had to be called out because you did it anyway. Can I make fun of myself a little bit this morning? If you're new this morning, this is not unusual. We make fun of Pastor Scott all the time. Sometimes Amber and I will go to a place, go to an event, and I walk in. And I walk in and I see the food. And in that moment, my brain tells me this is going to be a good day. I walk into a place and it's like, oh, this is my wheelhouse. Like, we all have things we love. If you walked into a place, you're like, yeah, they did it right today. Maybe it's a holiday for you. Maybe it's Thanksgiving. You're like, oh. It's October, and you're already thinking about Thanksgiving food. Maybe it's Christmas. Maybe it's Easter. Maybe it's just tailgating food. But you know when you walk in, you're like, yeah, it's going to be a good day. Well, it's in these moments, and Amber knows her husband, and she looks at me, and she says, Scott, you know the tone. Scott, be smart. Don't eat too much. And I look at her, and I'm like, I got you, no worries. Discipline, right? Discipline is written all over Pastor Scott. But we know what happens, right? It's a couple hours later, and there I am on the couch, or just uh, breathing a little deeper. I got that groan inside. And Amber, my loving wife, is right there beside me, and she looks at me. And as I look at her in her eyes, there's zero empathy in those eyes. And she looks at me, and she's like, Scott, I told you not to do it. And I've heard these words too many times. When are you going to learn When are you going to understand? You know better. You know, she's really good at saying all those good things that spouses say when there's no empathy in the room, you know? This theme of you knew better, this theme of when are you going to learn, this theme of when are you going to understand, can so often end up becoming a theme in life. And it's not just a theme for us. It's not just a theme for me. I see this theme in Scripture sometimes with the disciples. And for today's question, Jesus is going to have to call them out about it. You know, if you don't know the series we're in, maybe this is your first Sunday, and I love that you're here. We're, we're looking through questions that Jesus 
asked. You know, I've told you that throughout the Gospels, Jesus asks more questions than he gives answers. And he's asking these questions because he wants us to look at our lives. Why do we think a certain way? Why do we act a certain way? And these questions are so valuable because essentially what it's asking for us is, is there something that needs to change as we give ourselves a hard look at life? And so the questions that we've asked so far are uh, Jesus asking, who do you say I am? And then he says, what do you want? And then last week, do you want to get well? Now, if you missed any of those, you can always go back online. You can listen. You can watch. But Jesus asked those questions. Who do you say I am? What do you want? And do you want to get well? But we're moving on today. And today's question is going to be found in Mark chapter 8. So if you got your Bibles, you got your phones, you know how we do here. You're in the room. There's a Bible in the seat you can use, and you can keep that. Um, you, we use our phones, the Bible app, and... Uh, and, and we just, whatever it is, uh, we just need to engage with Scripture. That's why we're here. We want to see what Jesus has to speak to us. So Mark chapter 8, verse 13 is where we're going to start. All right? Here we go. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed over to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and says, Is it because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered 12. And when I broke seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. And so he said to them, and here's our question, do you still not understand do you still not understand can you picture this moment okay i want us to leave their seats and picture what's being spoken about in scripture when i read those words i picture a certain tone with jesus certain body language with jesus how do you picture jesus in this moment with these disciples and you get why I share the beginning, the story, the beginning of my message today. Because your thing may not be sometimes eating too much, but you have your thing, don't you? You have your thing where you know better, but that doesn't mean you think or act the way you should. You know better, but just because you know better doesn't mean you do better. This is the human broken condition that I think we all have. Now, to make sure we have the full picture of what's going on here, Mark chapter 8, verse 13, um, 
I need us to see what's happening in the bigger picture, the bigger moment that goes on around us. And, and, and so we can see why does Jesus ask this question? So we read 8 verse 13, but if you go back to the beginning of chapter 8, what you'll see, and, and he references it, is Jesus performs one of his most famous miracles. Ones that people know, whether you go to church or not. You've heard the story of Jesus feeding 4,000 people. Now, I don't want you to get this confused with Jesus feeding 5,000 people in chapter 6. These are two events, and that's really important to know that like, these are two different times. In chapter 6, it says he, feeds, he fed 5,000 people. Now, to make sure we're on the same page with this, he says he fed 5,000 people, but that's men. Women and children, we may be up to 15, 20,000 people, the whole group was. That's what we see in chapter 6. So then we've got chapter 8, where it's 4,000 men, so we're talking many thousands more, right? You picture this scene. And this is important, like I said, to know that he did it twice, because now we see that Jesus has not only done this thing one time, but multiple times. And then this latest one, there's a group of people that met him. And this happened quite often. Jesus had been doing things. People started talking about him. And there's a group of people, you've heard of them, the Pharisees, the religious power players. They often would meet Jesus after he do, does a miracle because they begin to test him. And this is what happens before what I read. We start in verse 13, but let's go back to verse 11 and 12. It says the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. So, once again, Jesus has this moment. How do you picture Jesus in this moment? How do you picture his tone? How do you picture that sigh that it says he has? How would you respond to somebody if they came to you in this way? You've just fed five, uh, thousands of people, and it's the second time that you've done it. Not to mention all the other miracles that Mark has already told us in the first seven chapters. Jesus has done so much. That's why people are talking about him. That's why this encounter even happens. How would you respond if someone came to you and said, I need you to show me a sign that you are the Messiah. No, no, not the things you've already done. Like, I need you to show me a real sign, a real sign from heaven. See, what I think is happening here, if I read into this, is these Pharisees are looking at Jesus and they're saying, we have a picture in our mind of who God is and what the Messiah will look like when he comes. And we want you to confirm that you're the Messiah through the picture, the lens that we have always pictured it before. We want you to do the miracle that we want you to do. We want you to do the thing that we pictured you to do. We want you to do the things that in our mind, this is acceptable or this is right. If you give us that, then we'll believe in who you are. 
If you do it our way, we will, do, we will begin to believe in who you are. Now, in this moment, Jesus could have easily like, made this really clear, right? Like him doing a request that they have, that's not the problem. But he had to make a decision. He had a question. Was there really anything? Was there really anything he could do? to make these people completely believe? Could he really do something that would make it clear to them? And, and, and you see what he does. He walks away. He says, I'm not going to go about life that way. I'm not going to respond to you the way you say you need to be responded to for you to believe in who I am. And we need to know that moment because later on when Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says back to verse 15 that I already read, be careful. He warned them, watch out for the yeasts of the Pharisees and that of Herod. He's pointing to that moment. He's warning the disciples, do not become like them. Disciples, you're with me. Do not live life the way we see them living life. Don't think, don't act. Now, you wouldn't think that would be a problem, would you? I mean, they're not the Pharisees. They are following Jesus. This is not a problem. Jesus is warning them, but they're like, yeah, we got this. Don't worry, we're disciplined. But unfortunately, it's not that simple. Because if you remember what I read, they do exactly what Jesus tells them not to do. After Jesus says, watch out for the yeast, or other translations, maybe you've grown up to hear, watch out for the leaven. After he says that, they immediately miss the point. They miss the point of everything he says. They think he's talking about the bread that they have forgotten. The lack of bread in the boat. Not having enough for the trip. So they have this conversation about the bread, but the problem is Jesus goes, why are you talking about bread? Remember what just happened. Why are you talking about bread? I'm using a concept that you guys should know very well because leaven or the yeast is a, it was used for the same way we know it's used for. It's used to help bread rise or to make bread become and taste and do the way bread's supposed to do. And they would have known this. But the problem is they would have also known that when leaven wasn't taken care of properly, well, it would spoil if leaven wasn't taken, it would spoil. And if leaven is spoiled, then what happens? When you put it in the bread, what happens to the bread? It spoils too. But not only does the bread spoil, it can make them sick. And so Jesus is trying to make the point. Get this. He's trying to make a point to them. Nothing to do with bread. He's saying, don't live like the Pharisees lived. Don't live with this lack of faith. Don't live the way they are always trying to find these signs because it can be like leaven that gets into your life and it's going to ruin how you go about life. See, what should have happened is they hear all these things about Jesus. 
They maybe have seen some of these things about Jesus, and it should have raised their faith. It should have raised their trust. But it didn't. And became toxic. It began to ruin. And so all he wants to say to the disciples is, don't let that happen to you. He's trying to help them see, as you're following me, this is going to be an issue. Don't let it creep in, seep in, sneak into your life. But instead of understanding the point of what Jesus was saying, they make it about bread. They make it about only having one loaf. They make it about what they're lacking Imagine just seeing a miracle of feeding thousands of people and then getting in a boat, seeing you lack the supply for what this trip is going to need, and you're like, oh man, I forgot bread. Man, I mean, this is silly. Just, they just saw this. Now they're in the boat going, we've only got one loaf. And in their mind, Jesus is trying to teach them something, build them up, trying to prepare them, warn them, and all they can think about is, is he talking about the bread we don't have? Yeah, we're not going to have enough bread. We've only got one loaf. There's all of us. It's one loaf. It's like, oh, how do we forget the bread? Imagine missing the whole point of what Jesus was talking about, and then Jesus has to call them out. Do you still not understand? Imagine Jesus having to call you out. When are you going to learn? When are you going to understand? Like, this should be an in-your-face story. And it should be an in-your-face story, in-my-face story, because how often could the disciples in that boat be replaced with you? Have you been this person that Jesus is trying to speak into, but all you can think about is what you don't have? You think about your worries. You think about where things aren't enough. Jesus is trying to speak. He's trying to build you up. He's trying to create something in you. But you miss it because all you can think about is what you're worried about. Many years ago, uh, there's this man who's going to walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls. This has actually happened 11 times. 10 men, one woman, have walked across Niagara Falls. Well, when people heard that he was going to be walking across, it became a big event. And that's what he wanted. It was, I don't know if he sold tickets or not, if it was a money thing or just an attention, just a, an event. But he got there that day and the large crowd was there and he's, he's, he's getting them kind of amped up and ready for this moment. He gets up on the tightrope and he puts chalk in his hands, he puts them on his feet and he reaches down and he grabs the pole. People are watching. There's the raging water. If you've been, ever been to Niagara Falls, you've probably seen pictures at least. It's, it's pretty powerful. But he begins the walk. And he gets all the way across the tightrope and people are clapping for him. But not only does he get across, he returns back. And upon returning back, people are like, this is incredible. They've probably never seen something like this before. And they're clapping for him. And they're like, this is awesome. He's like, I'm not done. 
How many of you think I can walk across without the pole? Some, you know, optimistic, and they're clapping. Other people are like, this is not a good idea. But he gets up on the tightrope, and he begins to walk. He makes it across, and he turns around, and he comes back, and people are so excited. I'm so glad I'm here for this event. You're doing incredible. They're clapping. He goes, I'm not done yet. How many of you think I can not only walk across and come back with a pole or without a pole, but while pushing a wheelbarrow? Once again, some people, yes, I've seen it. You've got this. I believe it. I believe it. Other people are like, this is not a good idea. He gets on the tightrope and he pushes the wheelbarrow across and he comes back. By this, by this time, people are like, I've never seen something like this before. Like they're going nuts for him. They're clapping. They're encouraging. They are sold. He said, I'm not done yet. Not only am I going to walk across with the wheelbarrow, this time I'm going to fill it with cement. They're like, yeah, let's go. So he gets cement in it, and he goes across and comes back, and they're just so excited. He's like, I've got one more, one more task today. How many of you believe that I can not only push the wheelbarrow across with cement, but I can push it across with a human? And it said that the crowd went crazy. It's unanimous at this point. They are clapping. They are cheering. They're like, let's go, let's go. And so he gets up on there. And he goes, all right, who's getting in? And everybody freezes. Not one person raised their hand. Not one person trusts him enough to come. And it makes me ask the question today. Is there a difference in believing and trusting? Is there a difference in believing in Jesus but still not trusting him with my life? Is there a difference in believing in who he is and what he has done but still not trust that it's going to be enough for me? The disciples had obviously believed they were following him. They declared that he was the Messiah, but there was still something missing in this relationship. There's this wrestling of whether they had what they needed for this moment in life. And so I can picture this moment. I can picture why Jesus says, do you still not understand because this wasn't a, a disciple issue it wasn't a Pharisee issue this has always been a people issue think back if you if you understand uh, Old Testament Israelites think back about their relationship with God and the stories that we've heard God proving himself to them after he's delivered them from Egypt. He has opened large bodies of water so they could walk across. Just like our song today, we sang, is a manna from heaven was brought down for food. He's told them I, I, and, and done broke open rocks to provide for them. He has guided them. He has protected them. But over and over, what's the story of the Israelites? Complaining, we don't have what we need. God, how are we going to get through? 
God has shown them, but there's still that trust issue. Then you move on to the New Testament. Beyond this story, you see that disciples, followers, always worried, 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 worried. They're worried in storms on boats. They're worried about food, not just in boats, but other places. And time and time again, Jesus has to look at them and goes, where is your faith? Or in this case, do you still not understand that you can trust me? Do you still not understand who I am, what I've done, and what I can actually do? And so it brings me back to the question, is there a difference between between believing and trusting? Because we need to forget about the Old Testament, we forget about the New Testament, we need to ask ourselves this question. If Jesus is asking you, do you still not understand? For those who are, say you're believers in Jesus, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Are there areas in our lives where it feels like we only have one loaf of bread and it rattles our trust. Proverbs 3, famous verse, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. You want to know what trusting in Jesus looks like? Look at this verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. There is a in, deep inside of you thing that your heart connects with him. That like, I'm not just giving you my mind. I'm not just giving you my actions. I'm giving the deepest part of me. I trust you. My heart is connected with your heart. And because of that, I'm not going to lean on, lean on, my understanding, I'm going to lean on your truth, your word to me. And because I don't lean into myself, I lean into you, then, then I'm going to submit myself. This is the big part of it. I will know if you trust God, if you not only like say, like, oh, I, I love you, I believe, I'm not going to lean into just what I think. It's that I begin to submit my path. Submit myself, then he begins to make the path straight. So, for me this morning, your thing isn't your loaf of bread. But for you, just, just some questions. Do you trust Jesus in areas like your marriage? Do you trust Jesus to the point that you will submit how you will go about your marriage so that he can make your path straight? Will you do in your marriage the way he has called us to do because at the end of the day, we do things his way? This is where paths become straight. Do you trust him with your marriage? He is with you. He's speaking to you. Are you submitted to him so that he can be in your marriage? Do you trust him with your parenting? This is a big deal. 
Am I going to do this parenting thing the way God has called me to do? I'm going to trust you that you're going to give me wisdom. You're going to give me insights. You're going to give me direction. You're going to help me in this parenting. But it only happens when I do things the way he has called me to do it. Priorities. Decision making. Not just with my mouth, but with my, all my heart. I'm going to submit to you. God, help me so I can trust you in my parenting. Just other dating relationships. Do you trust him? If you're not married, maybe you're dating. You're going to trust how you go about dating. Do it the way God has told you to do it. There's purity. There is process. There is wisdom of who I'm supposed to connect my life to. Do you trust him to bring the person the right person when it's supposed to be right for you? Do you submit to that? For people you're in school, do you trust Jesus at school? I'm going to do things with integrity at school. I'm going to do things with the focus I need to have at school. I'm going I'm to trust Jesus with, and, and how you're going to see that is I'm going to be the person I need to be, not just at church, but at school. The same thing goes with work. Trust them with your work. Every day you go to work and people are climbing ladders trying to get above you. They're trying to cut your legs underneath. They're trying to get theirs. And sometimes we can fall into the trap and we're like, I'm going to do things the way the world does not It's like, no. Do you trust him at work that he's going to be provide for you there? Protect you there? When you, are you going to have, have integrity in how you go about things? Are you going to trust that where you're supposed to be is where you're supposed to be and let him guide you? Which sometimes is connected to the next. Are you going to trust him with your money? I've told you in the past that one of the most spiritual things in our life that we don't realize is our money. Because where we spend money shows values. Where we spend our money shows who owns it. Does our money own us or does... Do we own our money and we give it to God? Are we going to do things? A lot of people I run into, they're like, money is a mess. And I'm like, when you don't do things the way God has called you to do, it's going to be a mess always, just the way it is. It's no different than any other part of life. When you do things the way God calls us to, we trust him with this thing that stresses us out. We trust him with it. too many stories, too, too much history of God works it out. You trust him with your past. You trust him with your future. You trust him with your weaknesses. Do you trust him with the sinful struggles, areas in your life that he can be forgiving, he can work through, he can do, do you trust him with all these areas of your life? Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. For some of you, you can quote the verse, but living it out may not be the same. The disciples knew they could follow, they were following Jesus, but did they trust Jesus? There are certain times we begin to see, oh, he provided the miracle, and I believe he can do that over here, but in my life, I've only got one loaf. God is the provider. God is the one we can trust. But at some point, we just have to give ourselves completely to this. And I think Jesus is trying to say to us, do you understand yet that you can trust me? What other signs do you need? The 
Pharisees, what other signs do you need for you to trust me? I love you. I want to take care of you. I have a plan for you. I have a path for you. But you have to trust me with this. And we wonder why life gets a mess. And I'm just simply going to say, you, you, you create your own path. It's going to be a lot harder than you take the one that's given and made for you. And so as we sing this closing song today, and for you, there's an error in your life you know you're not trusting Jesus with. It may be your life, and that's one of the things you go, Jesus, I know you've been calling me to you. I know I've been trusting myself, but I just, forgive me for this. Forgive me for trusting myself. I believe you gave yourself to me. I want to trust you with my life, but for all of us, we have our area so I'm hoping God will speak to you and that before you leave today, you'll just tell, you'll tell God, I'm going to trust you with this because I do understand that I can. So God, you speak to your people today. Holy Spirit, you speak to your people today. God, there are areas in our life where we're great at trusting you, but then there are other areas where we're like, but it's not enough. And I pray today, just as this song is going to say, God, you are Jaira, our provider. We can trust you. That is a name of God. And we trust you today to be everything we need. Help us to understand and own that today. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.